This is the Jocko Podcast Civil War Excursion number five with J.D. Baker and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, J.D. Good evening, Jocko. For much of its course between the two armies, the Rappahannock was less than 150 yards wide said to be an easy hollering distance, and the opposing pickets wasted little time declaring an unofficial truce. It would remain in force unviolated for four and a half months. Inevitably, a good deal of banter was exchanged. Not long after the Fredericksburg battle, a federal crossed, called across the picket to the 37th North Carolina to ask if there was a sorry corporal over there they would be willing to trade for General Burnside. (laughs) If not, he said, would they accept the general in an even swap for a broken down horse? Following the mud march, the rebel pickets were quick to ask the sodden men of the Sixth Corps, when are you coming over again? Have you gotten your mules out of the mud? They were frequent. There were frequent good-natured comparisons of rations and the discomforts of picket duty and the merits of their respective officers. It was not long before the pickets were trading more than talk. Sergeant Edmund S. Stevens of the 9th Louisiana explained a new trade to his parents. We taken boxes and other such articles as would answer fixed sales to them and send them across the Yankees and exchange tobacco and cigars for coffee and tea. Newspapers were another popular medium of exchange, of exchange. One lucky federal encountered a rebel so desperate for coffee that he would trade whiskey for it. More typical was the transaction recorded by a Pennsylvania soldier on January 6, two pounds of union coffee for 10 of Confederate tobacco. Officers tried to break up this nautical commerce, but without notable success. Supply and demand was at work here in a classical way. The best time to catch officers unaware, the men found, was at first light. And in those dim hours, the Cross River traded, flourished. Sergeant Stevens went on to describe the adventures of a man in his company, Ezra Denson, who was not satisfied with this arm's length trade. He found a piece of flotsam and paddled across to the North Bank to do his trading in person. Denson reported that the Pennsylvanians he encountered were very kind, social, and invited him back. On the subject of war, however, he found them disgusted, discouraged, and dissatisfied, could not digest old Lincoln's action calling for Negro troops. It was mutually agreed that the two armies should meet halfway and shake hands and never fire another gun. (sighs) So there you go. That's a little section from the book Chancellorville Chancellorsville by Stephen W. Sears. Um, So this is after the Battle of Fredericksburg, which, which, which we covered on the last episode what happened is they they settle in on opposite sides of the river and 
there's a, there's an attempt, like another attempt with the tell us about the mud march that happens. Yeah, so uh, obviously, you know, on the last one we talked about the the Battle of Fredericksburg and in, in, uh, December of '62. So, and and if you remember all the way like kind of back before then, you know, Burnside had options of of like what he was going to do. So you can either cross right there where it's tidal, uh, right into Fredericksburg, right next to the Telegraph Road, uh, you know, the the shortest distance, or you know, you can go you know upstream on the Rappahannock and then. You You've got the ability of those Fords, you know, U.S. Ford, Ely's Ford, and you could just Ford across and come out and around and 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 avoid uh, any bridging. You know what I mean? Which obviously from from the whole uh, bridging. Are the Fords dry if there's not much rain in, in like a drier season, or are they? There's there always a little bit of water going. Yeah, there's always a little bit of water. Uh, you know, I, I live uh, currently uh, today. I'm probably two and a half miles from Ely's Ford. Uh, and you know, in the summertime, you know, it's going to get low to where like you could like have maybe have to drag your canoe, uh, but there's still water there, uh, so it's it's continually flowing. Uh, it's not like some of the river basins out here in the west where they just dry up. Yeah. Uh, there, there's always water. Now in December, January, that's there. Oh yeah, there's a lot of water. Uh, you know what I mean? All mm-hmm. the the rain, the winter rain. So it, it's still it it's a it's a very uh, substantial river. Uh, so after the debacle uh, of goes on with the Battle of Fredericksburg, Burnside decides that okay, I got to kind of like try to redeem myself a little bit. Uh, and and if you could imagine with the road systems of how they are now coming into the the winter December and January timeframe, he's going to try to to again instead of crossing uh, right into Fredericksburg, he's going to go down and go with that original plan of let's use the Fords and cross that way to get in. But the road systems, I mean, like literally, I mean, because okay, you know, you think of like the logistical aspects of these guys going through there. And that's why like Confederates, when you were reading there, are kind of like making fun of them. Cause they like, they cook a bunch of chow. Like you can tell, like they could always tell when something was about to happen. Cause the guys on pickets, you know, uh, they're they're observing what's going on. Hey man, they're cooking a lot of chow. Hey, they're putting a lot of stuff in their knapsacks. They're issuing ammo. Like they can see like, oh, something must be coming. And when they start to go to try to, to move, it's the roads are just like that that Virginia mud to where like, you know what I mean? Like you've ever been on like mud runs and stuff like that to where like your feet are like getting that. Okay. So, and now you've got like this cannon and you've got like mules and horses just trying to go. And there's 70,000 of you. Oh yeah. Yeah. And there, yeah. There's 70,000 people. So like the first two dudes got it pretty good. You know what I mean? Everybody else behind there. It's like when you step in and you like lose your shoe, like in the mud, uh, you know what I mean? You can't find it. So it's just this, horrific what they end up calling the mud march and i mean like the axles of the wagons and the and the artillery are just buried and the confederate privates and stuff on the other they're watching all of this needless to say to their entertainment and you could just imagine down at the common soldier of like whose bright idea is this (laughs) you know what i mean so that's the Burnside mud march that they're they're kind of talking about, and it's just so. After that, it's like okay. And the mud march is just it's just like a one day excursion. Like oh, they realize immediately, like oh yeah, this is a bad plan. Yeah, this is not going to work. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like let's just Do go you know, in. When the, was the mud march? Uh, right after the Fredericksburg. So, yeah, like a couple, couple of weeks. Yeah, a couple, couple of weeks. weeks yeah, because I mean they were a wreck. Yeah. Uh, but he's still, you know, Burnside uh, is is still in command, uh, and he's trying to redeem himself you know what i mean like he's got orders from lincoln i mean you know we're going to go into camp uh kind of stuff of winter camps and wait for the spring thaw to come out uh 
And it's not like, uh, you know, in Virginia, it's not like it's snow. It's just that that rain and, and the roads. I mean, so logistically moving is just impossible. Yeah, it's uh, kind of the worst. You know, I, when I was out in Virginia, it's not quite cold enough to snow or at least not quite cold enough to keep snow on the ground. Maybe it freezes for a couple of days, but then it's just going to melt and it's just going to be 34 degrees, right? So it's not free, you know, because if it would just get cold enough to snow and freeze the mud, now you could probably get it done. But when it's just 34 degrees, 35 degrees, everything is just sludge, freezing, and not optimal for operations. So these guys go into, into winter camp, and this winter camp is long. Like, so, so basically, both sides, the Union and the Confederates, they 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 kind of stand down a bit for the whip for the winter on both sides of the river, and uh, they're doing these like you know we're standing watch we're walking down you know we're observing what they're doing but we're also just sitting down there talking shit to the guys and trying to get tobacco from them <laughs> or trying to get coffee from them and whatnot, um, and that goes on like through the winter, yeah, December I mean, all the way until yeah, springtime. Yeah, because you know, uh, you know, March time frame, you know, in Virginia, you know what I mean. Uh, it, it it's going to start to warm up a little bit, but you know what I mean. Now you still got the rain that's going to come in. You know, the springtime. Uh, you know, it, it, and it's just a lot of rain. Uh, so, any thoughts of like how you're going to logistically move? So yeah, it's basically almost like the the two armies go into camp, and they're literally right across the river from each other. So it would be just like me and you, you know what I mean? You're on the Union, I'm on the Confederate side, and we've got our little picket duty. You know what I mean? Which, you know, everybody like, okay, you're just going to go down there by the river. So it would be like me and you staring across the table right now at each other, and it's like, hey, dude, how's things over there? You know what I mean? I mean, It the, sucks. <laughs> yeah, the common soldier. But, like, if you start about, like, hey, you know, they want to, if you got anything to trick a broken-down mule for a general <laughs> officer, you know what I mean? Like, they're ready. So that kind of tells you, like, what the, the morale is like in the Army of the Potomac with Burnside. One, of what they, you know, I mean, you, you just look back at, at, at Fredericksburg with the pontoon bridging, all the explanations. I mean, it was just, you know, sleeping with the dead Chamberlain. I mean, the privates are just not happy. Then you're going to load them all up, get them geared up, take them on a mud march. Uh, you know what I mean? They're just not happy. You know what I mean? And and they, they haven't had like any kind of a victory. So and then you're sitting in the camps. Uh and there's another book, you know, we don't have it, it's an interesting read uh, about an artillerist uh, guy that, that served uh, in the artillery. And it, it's called uh, Hard Tack and Bacon. And it's all it is, is like basically about like what it's like in like army camp as a as a private. Mm-hmm. It's not like these dudes are, you know, they're not uh, they're not at Chatham Manor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like th- these guys are just uh, it, it's just like any other place like over in the over in, in Iraq, uh, you know what I mean? You see a lot of guys, they're in a in a shithole, mm-hmm. but they're going to spruce it up. You yeah. know what I mean? They're going to make it as best, as little homey as they can. Uh, so that's basically what these guys are doing. But, you know, on the Confederate side, you know, they can't keep their armies in camp and, and run resupply. So Robert E. Lee is going to have to do like what he always does. Somebody's going to have to leave. So he's going to have to take one of his core of either Jackson or Longstreet, and he's going to have to send them away because he can't sustain that size of an army on the Confederate side like they do on the Union side. 
so he decides this time he's gonna he's gonna send Longstreet. You know what I mean? He's gonna go down towards like Suffolk area, Virginia. Uh, to kind of get them spread out, but you know, there's that rail system that we talked about over there at the uh, at the uh, um, the slaughter pen area where Meade mm-hmm. broke through Jackson's lines. So there's rails to get down all the way to Norfolk area. You know, what I mean, it's still there to this day. Um, it's basically you know for the you know, the folks listening out, there's like heading down 301. Uh, you know, taking that taking that aspect down uh, to that area. So Longstreet's away, and then of course you know Lee and Jackson have to kind of hang out. Uh, you know what I mean? In camps, keeping an eye on like when's the Army of the Potomac going to move again? Because they're still have to keep the Army of the Potomac out of Richmond. I mean that's and now they're kind of like sitting and watching the Army of the Potomac to see what's they're going to do next. And that is a a couple of month process. I mean, you know, the Battle of Chancellorsville is going to take place in May. So that means that they're not even up and moving, you know what I mean, until April time frame before they're even going to stand and uh, like even start planning the next mm-hmm. operational period. Mm-hmm. Now, Burnside self-relieved, right, at this point? Yeah, he, he's – yeah. So he's gone. Yeah, Burnside's out. Uh, Hooker gets put in command. Fighting Joe. Um, and and this was interesting, and it's a good, it's a good lesson. So – Hooker's been put in command, but but there's an interesting the way this happens just from a leadership perspective to look at this because Hooker Hooker's like a political type guy and he'd been undermining he'd been undermining Birdside the whole time and he had like minions up in D.C. kind of talking smack about Burnside and he's just one of those kind of conniving guys it seems like to me and. Apparently, that's what it seemed like to Lincoln too. So, so in the book Chancellorsville uh, by Sears, once again, here's here's what the president says to here's what the president says to Hooker. The president, in his letter, went direct directly to the point. I think it is best for you to know that there are some things in regard to which I am not quite satisfied with you. I believe you are a brave and skillful soldier, which of course I like. I also believe you do not mix politics with your profession in which you are right. You have confidence in yourself, which is a valuable, if not indispensable, quality. You are ambitious, which within reasonable bounds does good rather than harm. However, during General Burnside's tide of command, you have taken counsel of your ambition and thwarted him as much as you could in which you did a great wrong to your country. So what I like about that and what's a good warning for all human beings is when you're doing these little these little maneuvers you think you're you think you're looking out for yourself you think you're making your boss look bad people see it and and by the way this goes up the chain of command down the chain of command your peers when you when you do some little thing you go oh you know JD and JD and I went and did this mission and you know I'm I'm going to tell everyone that I was the one that came up with the plan and, and you don't think JD's gonna see that? You don't think the boss is gonna be like, why is Jocko taking credit for a plan that these guys came up with together? You're gonna look bad. And so Hooker ends up not looking great. But at the same time, he has had you know a little bit of success. He's been in leadership position, so it seems like Lincoln just kinda, he's the next guy who's gonna give a crack at this thing. 
Yeah, and, uh, and if you remember from the the you know the last podcast coming in, I mean, when when they offered Burnside that position, he he knew it was kind of outside of his wheelhouse. You know what I mean? Like he didn't want, but then when Lincoln was like, "Okay, well, I'm going to put Hooker in there," and he's like, Whoop, "Okay, I'll take the job," <laughs> because yeah, Hooker did he did a good job at Antietam, yep. uh, but again, he's you know he's that leader that's always under observation. Everybody's seeing this stuff, and I, I'm with you. I love the way that like Lincoln's going to set him down and like let him know that, hey, dude, like. We know what you were doing, like the entire time of undermining the commander. That's a powerful message from the commander in chief of a president to now an appointed army commander that's going to take over the army of the Potomac. Like, so that's got to be like Hooker's probably sitting there going like, "Holy shit, man! That dude knew." Yeah, like mm-hmm. everybody. If if the president knows, everybody knows. Uh, the uh, the the other th- interesting thing is a dichotomy too, right? Because because Lincoln's saying, hey, you know, ambition is good. You know, ambition is good. Within reasonable bounds, it's good. Does good rather than harm. But then he's got that Patton-esque thing. You have taken counsel of your ambition, which, you know, Patton said, do not take counsel of your fears, right? So this guy's taken counsel of his ambition. What a freaking classic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I love it. And, and, you know, so obviously if you look at uh your morale wise and and from where you started out uh with the the common soldiers uh mainly you know the morale on the on the army of northern virginia with the confederates you know what i mean they're they're kind of having a a good time you know what i mean in camp you know what i mean hanging out and are they are they able to like i mean they're in their home territory right does that make it that much easier for them i mean are they able to like hey man you know my my girlfriend's coming up are they able to take a little bit of leave? I know the officers are kind of free to come and go, but what about the soldiers? Uh, not as much. I mean, they got to kind of like put in for, you mm. know, I mean, kind of like how we used to have to put in for like a leave chat. Mm. You know what I mean? And like you want to put in for leave. But if it's during an operational period, the commanders will be like, yeah, we can't go right now. Like, uh, like for instance, talking to guys in, in Vietnam, guys that like the SOG guys that fought with the, with the South Vietnamese guys, they'd go into Laos for four days, come back to Nam, and then they're, their Vietnamese counterparts were like, "Hey, I'm going home for the weekend." But you know, like, we're I'm in Vietnam. It wasn't like it wasn't like the guys, the the army guys, the SF guys that were they're not going to go anywhere. They're they're in Vietnam. They're fighting. So could the guys in the, in the Confederate, since they're in Virginia, did they have a little bit better liberty, for lack of a better way of saying it? Yeah, they probably yeah. Oh, they had definitely over the Union side. But you know, when you look at the uh, uh, at the makeup of of like the the Army of Northern Virginia. You know what I mean? Like uh, most has got their Mississippi, Alabama. I mean, they're from all different states, mm. so they're not all from Virginia. Uh, and then, you know, but some of them, you know what I mean, it, it, to be able to, to take leave, to go home, uh, especially during that time, it's also going to rely on, I mean, it's just like with anything, it's the commander. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and we had talked of Jackson, you know what I mean? Jackson, he's not the most at the time with that core. Um He's not the most lenient uh, with the enlisted. You know what I mean? Like, because some of them are from. I mean, if you look back at the way he was, like in Winchester when he had his headquarters up there in the Shenandoah Valley campaign. You know, for a volunteer force that are coming in, uh, it seems to me for to keep the morale as high as possible, you want these guys to go home to see families. Because uh, just like you know, Jackson, he, his wife gets to come and visit him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? But these guys don't have the money. You know what I mean? To kind of pay for that. But then again, if it's almost like like nowadays, like if I send you back home, 
Uh, you know what I mean? You can, okay, hey, I'm going to let you go home for 10 days, but you're also going to recruit five dudes while you're there and you can bring them back. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Could also be like the Iraqi army. You send them home on leave and like they don't come back. Right. <laughs> They're like, hey, well, I had enough of this shit. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you go back home and everybody, know, like because they're all from the same hometown. So if like me and you were in the same regiment and, and next thing you know, like we're on campaign and then I, I show back up home, you know, the picnic at the Sunday afternoon is going to look odd. Of A like, awkward. Yeah. Like, J.D., how, how are you here? You know what I mean? Oh, well, you know what I mean? I'm kind of on leave for, for how long? You know, I just left. Uh, you know, so uh, th- those aspects of it, uh, of being in, the, in that hometown uh, is a little bit different. So you know, the morale on the, on, the, on the Confederate side is also better because, I mean, they just laid the wood in Fredericksburg. I mean, and then they watched this mud march. And you can hear when you kind of call it out. I mean, these guys are – doing a little ball busting of the guys on the union because these guys are like down in the dumps and and they're you know from all up at the northeast or you know you've got folks from all over and and uh and their commanders that they've had they haven't had a victory yet so it's you know it's kind of like you're you're on a losing team you know what i mean and it just nobody's buying jerseys nobody's coming to your games you know what i mean and and you know the other side is you know, is just uh, is having a lot of success at this point in time. Um, so, you know, Hooker coming in command, he's got to kind of look at raising morale. Uh, how can I, you know, bring morale up? And, you know, that's where we kind of, you know, uh, talks about with, uh, you know, Hooker brings in the Army patches. Uh, you know what I mean? So that's where, you know, if you're in the United States Army, you know what I mean? Hooker's the one that they get to design patches for their units and put them on to kind of like, hey, we got patches, which the Army still uses to this day. They have more, a lot of patches. Uh, <laughs> and if you're in the SEAL teams, you made patches that were totally illegal <laughs> and you wore them. No, they, they, they've gone through a little like uh, in the SEAL teams, you know, the patches thing started and then the patches thing got kind of wild. And I think right now they kind of shut down patches. You're not allowed to have them. Like I did that, but I did that because, hey, listen, we're working in the Army, the Marine Corps. Don't be, you know, we can't look like a bunch of jackasses. And then, but but eventually we, even we wore patches and task you to bruiser. But, not me. But uh, they, they kind of went to an extreme and now they're sort of tightening it up like across universally and they say no patches. But and now, now what do you have? A bunch of platoons with, with patches in their pocket and they're ready to break out as soon as they get the opportunity. That patches thing is, what I'm saying is that patches thing is real. And if you can make that a point of pride, um, it'll, people will work for it. And people hold it, uh, elevate it in their minds. And so that's, that came from Hooker. Yeah, so, uh, you know, and, and the logic behind some of the patches is always like, you know, because like one of the units has got like a, a you know, their, their second core, but they got a three-leaf clover. And then like, you know what I mean? Like third <laughs> core has a four-sided diamond kind of stuff. You know what I mean? It like doesn't make sense. Like, you know what I mean? If I'm in third core, three-leaf clover. It's got three leaves. I can remember. Uh, you know what I mean? Now it, you're confusing people. Uh, you know what I mean? So no offense to the Army guys. I, I'm with you. Uh, you know, I, I see Marines, and, and we're not allowed to wear patches uh, either. Uh, but you know, you'll see more tattoos of the first Marine, the, the you know the diamond uh, that's right up the road from us here, man. Like dudes got that inked on them. They are proud of where they the second Marine Division like 
dudes are proud of those. So, uh, yeah, it's just like if they if they have an opportunity to throw a patch or a, or a sticker or anything, you know what I mean, that, that they're proud of, yeah, it raises morale. Like, dudes do not want to discredit the folks that came before them yeah. that wore that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so he does that. Um, another way that he does it, which this kind of shows to where, like, Hooker never did time in cell block. You know what I mean? He was never enlisted. You know what I mean? He wasn't at the at the, the gallows of the ship. Uh, so he, he, Lincoln comes down, they're going to put on a parade. You know, and and, uh, and I've never been at a parade that, like, I thought was, like, cool. Like, oh, hey, man, we got a parade next Friday. Man, this is going to be awesome. You know what I mean? Like, maybe at the officers, because they're all going to be up there, you know, all that kind of stuff, and they're going to get excited about the parade. And you know, they're going to be invited <laughs> over to the general's tent for, like, cookies and snacks and stuff. But, like, Private Baker, you know what I mean? I'm standing out there in the middle, like, three-quarters of a mile away. I can't even see, because some dude in front of me is, like, six foot nine, and I, I don't see anything, and I don't get invited for the cookies and snacks afterwards so he, he thinks that raises morale and kind of brings it down but uh so lincoln makes his way down visits camp and stuff like that of course you know uh as as a as the uh the uh commander-in-chief that's yeah, good that you know these folks are coming down and, and visiting uh just like they still do you know today yeah. i mean it's a big deal uh to come out and uh and see how the how the guys and gals are doing uh you know in in country uh while they're while they're on campaign um so, you know, now Hooker's got to come up with, with his strategy of, okay, how am I going to deal uh, when we go into campaign? So he's got to come up with his plan. And then his plan is basically to do the mud march, but when there's no mud. Right. I mean, <laughs> fundamentally, they realize they can't get across the, the, the setup, the defensive setup that we talked about in Fredericksburg. The river, the town, the open field the sunken road, the stone wall, the hill. Like, you're not going to beat that. We got to go west. We got to use the fords to get to maneuver to that area where they have a different approach. And the approach will be to the flank um, of where Lee and Jackson are at. Basically, 10 miles, about 10 miles, 8 miles, 10 miles, 12 miles, something like that, to the west. Yeah. uh, That's the idea. Yeah, it's basically, you know, if you're looking at Fredericksburg, even to this day, it's the modern day Route 3 back then, called it the Plank Road. Uh, so it's a, I mean, it's a very well used road, uh, even back then, it, it even still is today. So if you if you go from Fredericksburg and you go west, so you're going upstream up the Rappahannock, and, and as you go up past uh, Rappahannock, you get out about like uh, anywhere between like eight to 10 miles out, there's a, there's a split in the river, and, and now you've got the Rappahannock and you've got the Rapidan river that is spilling into the Rappahannock that's right out there towards that you got the Ely's Ford, U.S. Ford. So you got these Fords that are out there. Uh, but like you said, with the no mud, uh, you know, everything's, you know, everything's drying up. Now you can logistically start moving folks. And of course, you know, during that whole entire time, you've got the cavalry guys doing their job, reconnaissance, they're watching the Fords on both sides. Uh, you know what I mean? Of, of seeing like, okay, how, how what's is you know looking at the depths of the water? How's the banking? Are we gonna be, you know because you got engineers that are looking at this stuff? Uh, so all that is kind of going on after Hooker decides that okay, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna head west. We're gonna use the fords, uh, and then because then that's that's gonna cause is Robert E. Lee. You know what I mean? He's got to stay in Fredericksburg. 
because Hooker's also going to leave folks back there. So it's not like the whole Army of the Potomac's just going to get up and abandon uh, right above it at Chatham Manor, right across from there. So, so this is going to cause a dilemma of like, okay, he can get up and move his force, but if he leaves a division back there and he takes off and starts going west, well, now Robert E. Lee's got to make a decision too. Uh, and, and it's just him and Jackson. And when he let Longstreet go, he did keep back two divisions uh, that, that belonged to Longstreet. So you're kind of looking at like Jackson's core, like a core plus. Yeah, core plus. Yeah. So he's got like a core plus. But he can't just take his core and move west to counter this offensive that Hooker's going to do and leave nobody in Fredericksburg. Because then now they can just hop across, they can gain a foothold, and they can gain the heights beyond Fredericksburg. Game changer. You know what I mean? If they if they ever would have achieved those Mary's heights beyond Fredericksburg, dude, now uh, he can move his logistical yeah. base to Fred. Yeah, it's game on. So mm-hmm. you're kind of got like it's a chess match with Robert E. Lee and and, and Joe Hooker now. Uh, so they go to execute this thing. When when Hooker starts to move these, are they tr- are they being clandestine about it? Are they trying to? Are they trying to like keep a low profile as they start moving eighty thousand people, or whatever the number is, <laughs> or are they just like, all right, we're just going to try and do this as fast as we can? Yeah, well, they're going to try leave to leave at night. Like yeah, if, you, okay, yeah. So they're, but like I said again, like when it gets out to the, you know, uh, the opposite because of the river and the terrain, and it's winter time. There's no foliage. You know, even though these guys are back, they're running reconnaissance on each one. But you, when people are cooking. And you you can always tell when there's activities in camp, and everybody knows when it hits the springtime, they're going to go into mm-hmm. campaign. So it's like if you're on leave or you're recruiting, like everybody they're needs to start coming back. Um, so, but down but, to like the legitimate tactics of the so I'm Hooker. Am I saying all right, guys? You know, it's getting dark at at six o'clock at night. Don't do anything. Don't do any big moves. Six o'clock at night goes. I want you know. That's when you're gonna start moving. Are they doing it like that? Is it clandestine movement to the best of their ability? To the best of their ability, yeah. Because if you look at it, okay. So even though on these roads, which are not like improved roads like we kind of think of today, it's not the telegraph road. It's not the plank road. So these roads, like even still to this day, they're only two lane roads to get over to these fords. So it's going to take a minute to get there. So if they're going to pick up, they need as much to buy, as much time as possible. Because, you know, as well, anything, if if Robert E. Lee can get to those Fords, you know what I mean? <clears throat> yeah, it's just like South Mountain trying to come over there. Right. I mean, there's only certain channelized you, area. You, you channelized area, and that's where you can get them. So, yeah, they're going to try to get – and now it's a race. Who can If they can get across those Fords and get up onto what is like Spotsylvania County and out of Stafford County, now they got a foothold. So, yeah, they're going to try to get across there first, and Hooker does a good job of that. And Lee, meanwhile, he – well, Hooker, first of all, like you said, Hooker leaves Sedwick and like 40,000 guys. Yep. This this is mass movement. I mean, 40,000 guys is the stay behind on on the river, on, on Fredericksburg, looking across the banks of the Fredericksburg. That's Sedwick. Uh, Meade, Howard, and Slocum, they're Hooker's guys. They do this big maneuver to the west. Lee, he leaves 
General Early with a division at Fredericksburg. And what they do, this is what makes me think about this clandestine thing, because what they do, right, is they, they set up, like they thin out their line and they put fires throughout the line to make it appear as if they're, they don't, you know, everyone's still there. That's kind of their deception mode. Yeah. All right. So it would be like, you know, if, if you and I were, you know, a couple of privates back there and we're hanging out in Fredericksburg, you know what I mean? Like in the evenings and stuff, we're moving up and down the lines to give the appearance that we're all still there. And then, you know, Robert E. Lee's going to drop back, you know, with Jackson and the rest of the Corps. And now they're behind Mary's Heights so that they can start heading out. But but their direct route to get to, like like I said, I mean, from Fredericksburg to the Chancellorsville house at those crossroads of Ely's Ford Road and and the Plank Road, is dude, it's 10 miles. Mm-hmm. And on the Plank Road, it's a quick movement. I mean, move. that is great movement for Robert E. Lee. So it's going to take a while for those. But you know, Hooker and these guys, and they're going to use multiple Fords. To spread them all out, you know what I mean. So they're all. So when you look at the guys like when you talk about it uh, with like Meade and Howard and Slocum, you know what I mean. So you've got like this three prong movement, and they're all going to go to different fords. And then even when they come up out of the ford into Spotsylvania County, then they're going to there's like there's there's even still to this day there's three prominent roads to get back into Fredericksburg, right? So you got the main road, which is the Plank Road. But then you've got Old Plank Road that is to the south. And then right along the river is River Road. And River Road is, uh, I mean, now it's, it, River Road is probably the least traveled road. Uh, but it's, it's still there. But you get on that, man. And I mean, like, it's still to this day, there's nothing out there, man. It's, it's, it's there's there's no strip malls there's no nothing man i mean even to this day river road is like the locals because i'm a local the locals use river road to move in and around the area to avoid route three and i-95 like if you're a local you know where river road is so mead's going to be on river road so he's going to have a three-prong approach even coming from the west to the east with that use of those three roads, if that kind of makes sense. Yep. So, so just to recap, you got Hooker. He maneuvers out to the west. He's got a hundred and thirty-eight thousand men with him. <laughs> Which, again, look, <laughs> hey man, you know I was in the military. You know I maneuvered around. We had forty guys in the task unit, bro. <laughs> you know, you and I were ta- talking last night. You know, how long does it take to get, you know, I got four kids in my family. Like, how long does it take if I sprung on my family, hey, we're going to a restaurant, we need to leave now. That's like 15 minutes to get everyone out (laughs) in the car. We're talking 138,000 people. They move west, they get across these fords, and then they, there's basically, what you're saying is there's three paths to get back to, towards Fredericksburg. Towards Fredericksburg. The, The most northerly one, is River Road, and then there's the New Plank Road, and then there's Old Plank Road, and that's where they're gonna start moving down. Uh, The other side, you got Lee, and he had left, left some of his guys with General Early, the rest of them had backed off the ridge line and started moving west as well, where, where these two forces are gonna meet. Now, interestingly, Lee, he puts he he goes up old plank road and new plank road like that's where he decides to block he doesn't have anyone on river road nobody and by chance Meade 
he is on River Road with his troops. Yep. They start they start moving east towards Fredericksburg as as the the two armies kind of skirmish for the first time. They kind of ch- like chance contact almost. Yep. It's a meeting in gate. I mean it, it's uh yeah, they just so you got these 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 two armies. So you got two parades. And they're on the plank road, so it's you. Know, you got the, the two parades, and they're kind of coming in, and you know they're both kind of going to go into battle formation. So they're going to collide right there, and it's right next to. There's a farm that's still there. It's the first day of Battle of Chancellorsville. It's going to take place right there on the plank road, and and that from downtown Fredericksburg to this day, that's like six miles. So you got like. You know, a, a few more miles to get back to the Ely's Ford Road. So, yeah, so Hooker's doing pretty good, man. Like, he got across the Fords. You know what I mean? He's got them in motion, and they're moving towards Fredericksburg. Robert E. Lee leaves, you know, his folks, a, a division back in Fredericksburg, and he's moving east to west, and you just got two forces that are going to yep. hit each other. So if whatever we're saying right now, like, it seems complicated, but now you're getting to a point where you just have two – it's like a basic – two armies online looking at each other but at at one point the army you know the 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 union troops to to their left flank there's no resistance and so Meade is pushing down this river road and this is where it gets interesting hooker like they start to okay there's the there's there's the confederate troops okay we're going into battle and what hooker wants to do is he wants to recreate what happened to him or what happened to Union troops at Fredericksburg. He wants to go into the defense. He wants to have the Confederates attack them so they can sit there in good positions in the defense position, which is a hell of a lot easier. It's a hell of a lot easier to sit behind a stone wall or a tree and wait for someone to run at you and shoot them than it is to run at someone that's hiding behind a stone wall or a tree. So that's what he wants. He wants to go into the defense. And so I, he doesn't realize the opportunity that Meade has because Meade's clear. He could go all the way, he could split force. There's all kinds of maneuvers he could make. Hooker doesn't, I guess he doesn't recognize that, and he recalls him. Says, come back. Yeah, uh, I mean, so if you take the river road, and it's even still to this day, so if anybody, if you're ever you know driving around that area, you go get on the river road from Ely's Ford, and like literally you're going to be driving along, and you can go all the way to, to modern-day Route 1, the Telegraph Road, and he – unimpeded like not one not even like a not even a a traffic guard i mean there's not even a stoplight that's going to stop you uh, you know what i mean and he could have gone and cut off robert e lee on the modern day telegraph road and had robert e lee and and the division left at fredericksburg cut in half Mm -hmm. and And robert e lee's in would have been almost enveloped i mean almost completely surrounded yeah and but because like hooker we all kind of know of like, you know, kind of talking a little bit about Hooker. I mean, Hooker's all about Hooker. Uh, you know what I mean? So he's going to, yeah, he wants to, to create, he wants to get the the high ground. I mean, where he ends up pulling everybody back into this defensive position to kind of recreate something uh, instead of being offensive, he's going to want Robert E. Lee to come and attack them. You know what I mean? Because, of course, it's good. So, And he can anchor in his flank where he pulls Meade back, and you've got the river. 
Uh, you know what I mean? So nobody. So if you're looking at how he's going to set it up, you know, so Hooker, they're kind of facing you know, west to east, looking at front of the direction of march of Robert E. Lee. So he's going to have Meade's you know, core that's down there, and they're going to tie into that river, meaning that now their extreme left flank, you know, Robert E. Lee can't cross yeah, over that protected. river. Yeah, he, it's protected. But then he's going to run the other side of, of the other of his extreme right flank, and he's got Howard. Uh, you know, with with his guys is is the extreme right flank, and it's it's in the air, meaning it's it's vulnerable, it's exposed, uh, and because he's thinking, okay, these guys are here. Nobody is gonna be able, nobody's gonna come over and threaten my right flank, man. So he leaves it that way, thinking that you know Robert E. Lee and and Stonewall Jackson. Or obviously, he didn't watch enough film prior to the game. You know what I mean? Like, uh, uh, you know, he, he he doesn't have the film on 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 Jackson, obviously, because he's he's going to leave that right. He thinks that they're just going to come in and do a frontal attack. Like that's all that's in their wheelhouse. They're just going to do a frontal. He's going to sit there, and he's he's in good ground uh, of where he's at, except for his extreme right flank is exposed, and like where it's exposed at. Is like it's it's open farmland. I mean, it's it's flat, open area, uh, even still to this day. Um, and what he got on Howard? His nickname is Uh Oh Howard. Yeah, Howard. He's a West Point guy. He's young. Uh, you know, Howard's. He's isn't a, it strange? <laughs> isn't it strange? You could say he's a West Point guy, and that could, that doesn't really mean all that much at this point. <laughs> I mean, like he gives him some sort of like some sort of starting point. But we've already experienced people that are West Point guys that are horrible and West Point guys that are outstanding. So right. what do we got with Uh-Oh Howard? Uh, yeah, so Uh-Oh, uh, you know, it's O.O. Howard is his, is his name. Uh, and and he's he's got a lot of immigrants. I mean, I want to say, like, in, in his core alone with the Germans and all these guys, I mean, there's like seven different languages being spoke. Uh, you know, and of course, so, I mean, when you look at communications, that, that's going to be that's going to be pretty tough. Um, but you know, Howard, uh, he's not, I mean, I'm, I never knew the guy personally, but yeah, I mean, I don't want to operate with this guy, man. Uh, uh, you know, he's, 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 uh, you know, he's extremely, you know, he's extremely religious. Uh, he's young. Um, he, he means well. Uh, if if I could give any props to to Howard, you know Howard University of today, like the first ever, you know, uh, African American college is named Howard University after General Howard. So I mean, okay, so he's a good guy, but there's a lot of good guys out there that aren't good, like commanders. Yeah, I was gonna say that good guys that you don't want commanding your open right flank, right? Uh, you know what I mean? So. Uh, so Howard and the uh-oh of his nickname kind of is is going to come mainly because of the battle that we're about ready to take place. So, you know, if you look at how they got laid out, like if I if I was if I was Hooker and and Hooker was at, at Fredericksburg with Meade and we talked about him in the last episode, like Meade was successful. Uh, you look at some of the commanders that that he has underneath him of Hancock and Meade and 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 uh, Reynolds and some of these guys. I mean, he's he's got some good commanders that are out there. I would say that his weakest is Howard, and he's got him out there on the extreme right flank, and it's unprotected. Mm-hmm. Hmm. 
You know what I mean? Like if it's me, I would kind of tuck that dude in yeah. in between like a couple of my really good guys. Yep. To kind of keep that look out for him. So if he does decide to do something stupid, you know what I mean? Me could be like, hey, dude, don't do that. You know what I mean? And kind of rein him back in. But for whatever reason, uh, you know, Hooker puts him, but Hooker literally thinks nobody is going to come and threaten my extreme right flank. So that's how we end up there. So, yeah. So. Is that kind of how the this 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 day ends goes gets dark basically as these two giant armies you got 138,000 from the Union lined up the, across from them is and and by by, by across from them 60,000 troops from Lee we're talking like three quarters of a mile that's how that's how much they're separated by. Yeah, I mean, uh, so right there on on the uh, if you're looking at just like you had stated uh, before, the main area of concentration where they kind of end up is is right there where the old plank road is and and the new plank road of modern day Route Three, and from from the corner of where the Chancellorville House is, which is at the intersection of Ely's Ford Road and and the Plank Road, right there, there's a of course, there's a nice house. That's one of the nicest houses in the entire area. Uh, the house isn't there anymore. The foundation is uh, a part of the park. I wish the house was still there. There's photographs of it and stuff that you can see. So it's a, it's a nice house. Uh, and that's where Hooker's going to send up his headquarters. And then he's going to have this defense uh, you know, posture around him. Kind of a 180, you know, the left, the, his extreme left anchored on the river, and then he's got his right kind of circling around in that in that 180, uh, and just yeah, three quarters of a mile, like literally, you go across the plank road, you go through. There's a there's another little open uh, farm area uh, that you're coming into, and then you're going to hit the the old plank road right there at old plank road. And where it intersects, there's there's an old Catherine's Furnace Road. There's an old furnace that's not operational at the time, but there's an old furnace that's back there in that Chancellorville area. And it's called so it's the Catherine Furnace Road where that road meets the old Plank Road. That's where Robert E. Lee pretty much ends up with his headquarters, dude, like. You, you know, I mean, I live right there. Like the Chancellorville right there, the cracker box that we talk about later on, it, it's it's a stone's throw from, from where I live right now. The, every time, and I run, I run the, the cracker box and I run the flank march at least, if not twice a week. Love running out there, man. And, and every time, it always amazes me when I leave the cracker box from the old plank road and I run to where the new plank road is. Dude, it's less than a mile. Like I'm running it. So I mean, you can you can check it on my Garmin. It's on Strava. So you know what I mean. Like if you don't believe, like oh, it was this many miles, dude. I've run it a thousand times, and it amazes me how close these two armies are. I mean, it's just un unbelievable of how close they are. So yeah, day one they both stop, and now it's like now they're looking at each other, and we know what Hooker wants to do. He wants defense. And he wants the Army of Northern Virginia to come do a frontal on him because he's set up for it, man. I don't know if he sent a memo over to Lee like, hey, I'm ready. Come on over. Hit me with a frontal assault. But then you got like, okay, so now Lee is now the guy that has to kind of go into counsel of like, okay, what are we going to do with, with this new threat? He made it across the river. Check. You know what I mean? 
He threw the forwards. We couldn't stop him. We made his way in. We ran a quick blocking. We intercepted him. Now they're going to sit there in the defense. But he doesn't know that Hooker's going to run defense operations either. He doesn't know if he's going to get up. So, you know, they're, they're kind of like trying to figure each other out of like, what are these guys going to do? But then again, they're so close and you get eyes on. If I see you stop and you immediately start digging in, Okay, so obviously you're going defensive operations. Now, in 2022, if we stop for more more than an hour, dude, we're digging in. We're putting sandbags. Even if we're going to leave in 45 minutes, like, we like digging. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's why we, like, carry around, like, e-tools and shit. You know what I mean? And we love engineers with, like, backhoes. As soon as we get there, let's just start digging. Right. Uh, so – and this is becoming pretty common practice now with these folks of like this whole introduction of, of a trench and a fighting position kind of thing. Uh, so now you've got Robert E. Lee is the one that needs to make a decision of what he's going to do. And this is where you get this this kind of famous conversation of which what was actually said during this famous conversation isn't really known 100%. But this is a conversation I know you and I always refer to it as a cracker box. Is that, does everyone refer, refer to it as a cracker box conversation? Or everyone that, should refer to it as the cracker box conversation. Okay. Because if you go to the cracker box, there is a placard there uh, and it says the cracker box. So that's it's, what it is. It's the cracker box, man. So we got Lee and Jackson sit down at this old cracker box to figure out what the plan is going to be. Yeah. And, and how's it go down? Yeah. So, you know, this is uh, one of those times uh, in, in the history of the world that like, cause there wasn't anybody there that, that heard the conversation of like, and, it, and it's the cracker box. So it, it's like, you know, the hard tack. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're left. It's, it's kind of like, you know, how we get like the ammo crates. Yep. And then, you know, what's the first thing that, you know, people do with the ammo crate? They put it back together. And that, now that's like your field toilet. You yep. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. So kind of the field, same thing. It could be your field toilet, yeah, it could be your field I, disc, I, I, your field yeah. chair. Like, yeah. it could be anything. It's, it's, it has multiple, <laughs> you know, things you can do with it. Cracker box, same way. Uh, so they're going to, they're going to sit down at this cracker box and, and like, Literally, they're, they're at first they're kind of getting a little bit of harassing fire. You know what I mean? They got guys shooting at them, so they move in like right off of where Ely's, where not Ely's Ford, but uh, where the uh, the uh, Catherine's Furnace Road and the Old Plank Road, and it's just like right off of there. And there's a there's a, a little marker that's there, like like where the fire was. And there's a really cool portrait, uh, and it's it's Jackson and Lee sitting on cracker box. It's kind of like how you and I are yeah. sitting here, kind of looking at each other, and we got a fire going. And we're like, "What do you, what do you think we should do tomorrow?" And uh, and you know, one. I mean, we talked about the numbers. I mean, we're basically. It's three against one. So it's like three Jockos against one JD. Dude, even like right now, that's not good odds. Hell, it's not really good odds with just one Jocko and one JD. You know what I mean? Like, so now there's three Jockos and one JD. So do I want to go offensive like against like three Jockos? That, that, like, I'm not a smart man if I'm going to do that. Unless I got like a shitload of ammo, uh, you know what I mean? And I could separate it. So he has this conversation, and Jackson is going to convince Robert E. Lee that, dude, I think we should go offensive. And I think I'm going to take two-thirds 
of the folks that we have here. Because remember, he's like he's got the core plus. So he's got those those two division guys that were you know that he kind of like adopted over and got from uh, Longstreet. So he's going to leave those two guys, McClaws and them, back there with with Robert E. Lee, and he's going to take the rest of his core. And he's like, you know, we can go down what is now called the Jackson Flank March. Uh, so I can go down Ely's, you know, this uh, the Catherine's Furnace Road. And then you take that road, and it'll take me up to the Brock Road. And then I can go all the way out and around and get over onto the Plank Road. And then I can come in, and I can hit them on that extreme right flank. And they're like, well, I mean, do you, do you kind of know the route kind of thing? Well, not really, but, you know, I mean, we got – there's uh, Lacey, the Lacey Farm, you know, Reverend Lacey. So, you know, they've, they've got local. I mean, they're, they're basically – they got a lot of local support. It, it is Spotsylvania, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're not worried about, like, anybody coming in trying to – do. They're, they're getting support from the locals, and everybody knows Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson in Virginia. Uh, you know what I mean? They're like, hey, dude, you guys don't have tents? Come take my house. You know what I mean? They would love to have them stay there. But they, they don't. And, oh, and not only with, uh, with, with, uh, with uh, Reverend Lacey, uh, and also uh, they're going to need a guide. Uh, you know what I mean? Someone to guide them on this road. And this is literally like very unimproved roads. Like the road that I'm talking about now when you go down there to Catherine's Furnace, it's not paved even still to this day, man. It's a gravel road. So, and now, you know what I mean? Like it's, uh, I mean, I just couldn't imagine. Like it was, it was a well-used road, uh, you know what I mean? Because of the, of the furnace that was there. But it's, it's not anything. I mean, it's, it's a path through the woods mm-hmm. kind of. That's what I kind of look at it as. Back then, it was, it was a two-track path right. going through the, the woods of, 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 uh, of Chancellorsville. So, you know, at there, that's basically what the conversation is is kind of going down with. Which that's why I wish, like, I would love to have listened to how they came up with. I'm three quarters of a mile. I'm outmanned three to one. You're going to take two thirds of this force, and like I said, uh, you know, you get different distances of like what's the distance all the way out and around. And I've ran it a lot. Uh, it, it's right. I mean, you're looking at 14 miles so you know just like you talked about like how long does it take to get like the four kids and the wife into the car uh, you know what i mean now you're going to take you know thousands of people you know what i mean through this two-track road through the woods out and around 14 miles and you've literally got an army that could just stand up and you don't know if they're going to go offensive you don't know what they're going to do yeah that's a that's really the crazy part or one of the crazy part of the gamble is, you know, you, you leave only two divisions to face 135. If those, if the union gets up and goes on the offensive, if they do a frontal attack in the morning, they're, they're going to mop, mop up. Oh, they're going to roll them over like a wet napkin. I mean, even with those two, I mean, they're, they're going to like, I mean, it would just, it's overwhelming forces. It would just be overwhelming. They would, especially if like, if Jackson gets out to like, nine miles away you know what i mean and Longstreet's not even there you know what i mean like he there's not enough time distance space to get Longstreet and his core there even if it's like okay well Longstreet's due to arrive at like 10 tomorrow morning so yeah if you take off yeah let's roll the dice and he'll get here but that's not even in the picture like Longstreet is out of this picture completely out so it's just lee and jackson and he's convincing the boss 
that he's going he's gonna to take these folks and he's going to go out and he's going to hit the extreme right flank of the Union Army. The, the ultimate uh, indirect attack, ultimate. ultimate flanking move. Ultimate. And, ja- and, and Lee gets credit for agreeing to it. I mean, he says, okay, we'll roll the dice because that's a huge roll of the dice. Yeah, I mean, he's the boss. So, I mean, he, he, anything that happens, he owns it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, you know, and it's always pretty cool because, like, when you talk about, like, individuals, like, that are going to get up and, like, and, like, start, like, getting after it, you know what I mean? Like, Jackson's up early. You know what I mean? So he's up early the next morning. He, he's got his task at hand. Uh, you know, uh, the Reverend Lacey, uh, they end up getting uh, hooked up. Uh, one of the guys from over at the, at the, uh, at the, at the, old, um, at the old furnace over there, uh, Welford's son, is going to act as a guide. Uh, so basically you got, like, a, a, a young teenager which I could only imagine. You know what I mean? You've got this guy, general officer of Stonewall Jackson, and here comes this 13-year-old kid out there. Follow me, dude. Yeah. You know what I mean? But you know he knows the woods. Oh, he he's knows like, it. Oh, where you want to go? I got you. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, he's he's up early, uh, and 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 they're off and, and moving. Uh, they've got acting as a guide. And uh, and, and it's, it turns out it's going to be, you know, it's the ultimate flank. Uh, of what they're about ready to to try to do is is just it's unimaginable in today's day and age that you could convince a commander to take two thirds and and try to pull something off like that uh, of what they do. Now they're trying to keep it cl- clandestine as well. Oh yeah, I, I mean obviously, but it's hard to what you got twenty thirty twenty five thousand troops or something like this. You're trying to quietly move out. <laughs> like that's a, I, how do you get the word to twenty five thousand people, right? <laughs> so how do you get the word? So decentralized command, you know, all right, hey, bring the commanders in. We tell them, they tell them, they tell them, they tell them, and eventually, by the morning, we got twenty five thousand people to stand up quietly and start walking out to the west, following this thirteen year old kid. <laughs> that's gonna take us around to the flag. Yeah, and uh, when you look at, at Jackson, you know, what I mean, okay, so we're now we're in sixty three. So you know, Jackson's been through the valley. Uh, he's you know, so if you're in his core, it's like I always say, you know, there, there's one thing that's always true with Jackson. You're going to get up in the morning, you're going to get on the road, face to the right, you're going to hike, and there's going to be a gunfight at the end of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can leave your shovels at home because it's just like a Fredericksburg. Like as soon as Jackson shows up, let's go offense. Uh, you know what I mean? He's uh, you know, and so those guys, they're they're in tune and. and we're talking about morale, they're like, yeah, we're about ready to get after it again. You know what I mean? So you got to look at the morale side of both sides. I mean, you know, if you're there, these guys have been winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and coming off of Fredericksburg, they're like, yep, dude, they, they just crossed that river again, man. We're going to go out, man, and bring the wood to that ass. And so they're up. But like like I said, when you go down there, even today, you can see there's a, there's a fork in the road. Uh, when you get down there towards Catherine's Furnace. And that is an exposed area to where if if somebody's going to see you, that's where you're going to get seen. So as they get up, and it, it's still, you know, it's wooded, but you can still see. I mean, and they're so close together. And when you look at, like, lines on a map, so if anybody's, like, looking at a map right now, and you look at that, just because that line there, they've got folks that are pushed out forward. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? Just like on the same thing that are doing pickets. And, and, and LPOPs, listening posts, observation posts. So people are trying to gain eyes on the enemy, and they see Jackson. 
and it's reported back and nobody does anything. So they did. So they're just sitting there waiting, um, and they see the movement. They don't. They don't react to it. They don't. They don't counter. They don't shift their position at all. They don't start digging in over on that right flank. They nope. just nothing. No. Nope. Well, I mean, they're 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 digging in. So they've got like the, 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 they've got their like trying to establish their defensive position, but they're not anchored in on anything. And they're only – you know how, like, nowadays you got, like, a primary fighting position, an alternate firing position, and then a supplementary firing position so that just in case, like, the first two can can cover the same mission. But then you always make another position of, like, what if shit happens? We need to be able to now face west instead of face east. They got none of that. Mm-hmm. They, are, they are one set mind. These guys are going to come from east to west, and that's the way they're going to hit us. Nobody's going to come on, on from out on the west and hit us on our extreme right flank. So Jackson makes it. And like you said, this isn't a tough march, right? This, this march? No. I mean, it, of course, that's – yeah, it's flat. Relatively it's, speaking. Yes, right? like relatively speaking. Yeah, you know, 14 miles. Yeah, I mean – I shouldn't put it that way. Yeah, this no, is no, not no. an excessively challenging march. It's not like a bunch of hills. No. no. The, the terrain is not – too harsh. Yeah, it's so they're a, able to pull it off. Yep. With for them relative quickness and it relative is a, it's an, Yeah, it is an it's an easy flat mark. There's no hill street that you got to go up and over <laughs> to get to it. Like you know, just down the road. It's a it's like down here. Uh, you know, running along South Beach and then jumping on the bike path. Yeah. That it's nice and flat. You know Check. what I mean? I've I've run it a bunch. So yeah, it's an it's an easy march, but it's still going to take them some time. So they're going to roll out in the morning. They're not going to get around there until later in the afternoon. I mean, you're still moving, mm-hmm. you know, 20,000 freaking people. 14 miles. Yeah, yeah, with with all their stuff. Yeah. You know, so he's got to take their artillery. So, yeah, it's it's going to take a while to get around there. And you could just – so everybody's – so Jackson, there's another famous photo of Jackson and Lee, you know, right before he takes off on the flank march. And it's the last time that Robert E. Lee and Jackson are going to personally be together. Not to spoil anything, uh, you know what I mean, but it's that's the last time. It's a pretty famous photo uh, of the two. Jackson sitting up on Little Sorrel, his favorite horse, uh, and, he, and him and Robert E. Lee. It's the, it's their last last meeting, and then Jackson's off. And now you got Robert E. Lee, and I could only imagine him hanging out right there at the Cracker Box. You know what I mean? Three quarters of a mile, and then he watches the last private kind of turn down towards. You know, the Catherine's furnace, and now they're off to the distance, and now it's a waiting game because they're just, they're basically, you got Lee sitting there going, waiting to hear fire of the, the start of, of, of this flank attack. I couldn't imagine the pacing, like how does he entertain himself, you know what I mean, not taking his mind off of things. And I could even imagine the folks that they leave back there, McClaws and them, yeah. and they're just like, dude, they're gone, man. I mean, it's just us. You know what I mean? And, yeah, of course, do they got an escape route? Could they, you know, try to pull back and get back into Fredericksburg? Yeah. But now you're just – you're leaving Jackson? You know what I mean? I mean, this is a this is a huge risk uh, of what they're doing. But Jackson, he makes it out and around. And then he, he, gets, uh, he gets on the right flank and sets up pretty much – he's on – he pretty much straddles the the plank road. Yep. That's what he's going to do. Yep. With 25,000 and then, and then roll in. 
Yeah, and he's got them like stacked. So he's straddled and he's got his divisions like in depth. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's almost like, you know, you got like a halfback and a fullback. You know what I mean? You're going to run a triple option, but you don't know who's going to get the ball. So you got like a lot of options of, you know, do I push this one to the left, to the right? So yeah, he's going to come in. And of course, you got Howard over there. Nobody's expecting them to come. You know what I mean? And then, you know, they're all over there. And, you know, I mean, what have they been doing all day? Slapping spades, brewing up ramen, you know what I mean? <laughs> Writing letters home, you know what I mean? Typical private shit, uh, you know what I mean? And then the next thing you know, one of them's like, well, hey, dude, holy shit, look what's coming. And, I mean, they're going to roll them up like a wet napkin. And uh, if you go there, even today, so if you follow that entire flank march of what Jackson does, you're going to come in right before you get to the Wilderness Baptist Church, which still stands there today. You get up there to this large open field, and in the placard, that placard, it says the Flying Dutchman. Uh, and they're, they're talking about Howard. Uh, and it's the, the Flying Dutchman. The surprise of this, you know what I mean? So it's it's on, and it's Jackson, and they're they're on that extreme right flank, and these guys are not prepared. So what do they do? They run, and they just they get their stuff. And of course, what what's that do for like the guys with Jackson? And they see him running. It's like giddy up, buddy. It, you know what I mean? Like these guys are on it. It's like unleashing the wolves, man, and they're just rolling them up. And then you could imagine all the other core and the other divisions of like if you they're they're seeing dudes running at them and they don't know why they're running, they're already getting scared. Like you know, if I just got up from the table, I just start running, <laughs> and we run through the gym downstairs. People are like, "Why the hell are JD and Jocko running?" Yeah, even though they don't know what's going on, some of them are going to start running. Yeah, just yeah, no, that that, that panic. Uh, I know as I, I, I've talked about this in World War One, they had to try and like get their couriers to not run because if a guy on the front line got up to run a message back, someone see him run and be like, oh, oh that's what I'm out. And then that's two people and that's three and it's a hundred. And then, then you lose. Yeah. So that's what's happening here. Only they're running for a good reason. <laughs> they're running because they're getting their asses kicked. They're not ready for it. They start running. You get a general panic going. Right. I mean, there's a difference like me going for a run in the morning. I'm just running. These dudes are running for their lives. There's a difference. You know what I mean? And yeah, so panic has hit. It's hit with Howard's core, and it's having a huge effect all the way down. And of course, you know, the other side, the extreme left, like they don't know what's going on. But you know who's like, I'm sure like is super excited is Robert E. Lee sitting back there over there at the Cracker Box of like, Man, that son of a bitch did it, man. <laughs> like, wow. I mean, it's got to be like, wow, of what he has accomplished, of what that, uh, this, this, of what transpired uh, between those two commanders. And, you know what I mean? And, and all the efforts of all the way down to the guide of the, you know, the young boy that's going to lead them through and all the way out and around and moving that many people. And just by sheer luck of like, they got seen. And just because of, like, what is wrong with the Army of the Potomac's officers, man? Like, you got privates and shit saying, hey, sir, I I, they, I see a bunch of guys moving on the road out there. And you start reporting it up, and they're like, man, you're not seeing anything, man. Go back out there and sit back down. And what, what do they do when they get back out there? Like, you got to be shitting me, dude. 
Well, I mean, they actually do come out and even some of the other officers see this. And as they report it up, they're just like, hey, man, that, that's nothing. Nobody's going to go all the way out. Those roads don't. I mean, what, why are they not doing anything? That's what always just kind of really just amazes me of like, why don't they believe these guys? You know what I mean? Is it that much ego going on, man? That It's the housewives of the Army of the Potomac, like literally going on out there. Like, why do they not get along and like listen to each other? They could have stopped that entire thing. They could have cut Jackson right there. They had every opportunity to. It wasn't like they got away and they weren't seen. Mm-hmm. They were seen. It's documented that they were seen. And nobody did anything about it. That just is, is crazy to me, but... They get around and they're doing this. And then Robert E. Lee and those folks, so he's got his two divisions there. So, of course, we're going to join in. You know what I mean? Because now what's that going to cause Hooker to do? He's going to start focusing everything over there on this extreme exposed right flank. The officers are going to start trying to slow down people running for their lives. And half of them don't even speak English. So you can yell at them like all day long. They got no shits given. They're just running back to where they came from. And now you've got these folks that are now over on the, you know, that three quarters of a mile where they're going to start opening it up. Uh, you know what I mean? Which is going to end up collapsing back their defensive position. It's a total shock and awe mm-hmm. uh, of what happens but now the the heat tab it's mm-hmm. it's it's getting dark luckily 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 for the union it took them a while to get there and, and they're gonna it's gonna get dark it starts it, getting dark it starts getting dark uh and and the folks are so i mean you got to look at it man for for the you know for jackson's core and the folks that that he took around there man that, that's a 14 mile movement and then you're into a gunfight and it's a running fight so these guys i mean i'm at their adrenaline stuff and then they all slow down uh and they get uh i mean man like looking at it of how close they are to hooker's headquarters there if you go there today uh i mean you are less than a mile from from hooker's headquarters less than a mile so jackson's crew made it less than a mile from where hooker had his headquarters set up and then and then that's where he kind of like pauses like hits a hold yeah it's a hold so he so he holds right there but jackson still wants to kind of so Jack, Jackson knows he look he he brought his guys 14 miles they kicked their ass there but it's getting dark he's like we've done a great job and and let's face it after you've done 14 miles and you've kicked a bunch of ass you're gonna need to do a little bit of a reorg you got to get your shit together a little bit get a head count get an ammo can get some like all that stuff's got to go down Jackson recognizes that so he's like all right so hold what you got right here do a little reorg but but Jackson also is like I'm not done yet oh yeah he's not done <laughs> So he he wants to find out where to go next, what the next move is going to be, and he decides to get some reconnaissance going. But because it's Jackson, he doesn't say, "Hey, Private Schmuckatelli, you know, you grab a crew, go out, tell me what you see." He says, "No, I'm going out to look." Yep. So he personally goes on reconnaissance. Yeah. So he's gonna, you know, everybody else from the commanders all the way down, you know, with his division commanders, regimental commanders, they're doing the ammo casualty. They, their wagons are showing up. They're giving a reach because I'm, I'm sure that like, you know, if you're a private with Jackson, they got no ammo. You know what I mean? They're just unloading ammo. So you know what I mean? So yeah, they just and Jackson's like, all right, well, while you guys are reloading the cartridge boxes and stuff, you know what I mean? I'm gonna go do a leader's recon. So he takes him and, and some of his staff. 
And instead of, I mean, he's got cavalry. I mean, you know, Stuart's there, for Christ's sake. You know what I mean? Like, send somebody else out. You know what I mean? But that's not Jackson. So Jackson, you know, it's dark. He's going to start heading out. Everybody's back because he's like, I'm going to go out, man, do this little reconnaissance. I'm going to come back. And, and we're going to giddy up, and we're going to get after it. Like, we're not waiting for, like, tomorrow morning. Like, if they're on the run, let's get them now. And Jackson goes out. And, of course, you know how you kind of, like, even though it's dark and it's, like, on a road, you kind of, like, silhouette yourself, mm-hmm. like, a little bit. You know what I mean? So, of course, now you got these union guys that are over there, and, and they see these folks out there on the road. Well, they know it's like, okay, we're going to shoot at them. We don't know who it is, but we know that they're not with us, so let's shoot at them. So they're going to start taking some shots. And so then, Jackson, in his recon element, yep. as they're kind of moving down Plank Road, trying to get an assessment, of course, Union dudes see them and are like, oh, no, who those? those are bad guys. They start shooting at Jackson and his little recon element. Yep, and they're going to break in. So they're going to break you know, like north. Well, you know, like north into the woods. So they're heading east. They're going to break into the wood line. And when they get into that wood line, now that they're getting resistance, because that's it's almost like as if like once they get shot at, now he can see where their lines are. You know what I mean? So he's going to break into the woods and then he's going to start making his way back west. He basically got his information. Once he's getting shot at, he's like, cool. Now I know where you're at. Yep. I know we're going to start meeting resistance. I'm out of here. He breaks to the north, but he's got his intel, or at least he knows he shouldn't go out and try and get any closer. Starts heading back to friendly lines. Yep. And the the mistake that he made when he left friendly lines, they didn't alert to let his folks know. So not not everybody. No, now, of course, except for like the folks that are like right there with him, they can see like, oh, hey, there goes Jackson and them. But the like the folks that are down like 150 yards from them, they they got no they got no clue, and and it ends up being it's a it's a North Carolina regiment, uh, and they're just down, and it's nothing against the North Carolina regiment. So Jackson breaks into the woods. He's he's making his way back. You know what I mean. He, he breaks north, gets into the wood line. He's like, yeah, hey man, let's get back into friendly lines. I, I, I've got my information that I need. We're getting kind of shot at. Let's move back. And as they're moving back through the wood line, you've got the same thing that we just yeah. talked about with the Union. These guys from North Carolina, they see movement to their front, and they just did this flank attack. Yeah. And they know that there's nobody in front of them. Other, they are the tip of the spear. So anybody that's out there moving, they're going to shoot at them. We just did an ammo casualty. They got more ammo. You see movement. They think it's maybe them doing a reconnaissance against them. So they start shooting, and they end up hitting Jackson. <clears throat> so he gets hit in the arm. Yep. Bad. Bad. Like not not a not a little not a little wound, but a big wound. Like yep. he's going to need amputation. Yes. Um, and he's going to need to get casavacked. Yep. Um, so they start they start initiating that right. They start initiating he, and like the casualty evacuation. I mean, casual casualty evacuation in twenty twenty is not fun. You know, you're getting thrown into a Humvee, you're getting thrown into a helicopter, whatever, and you're going to be at an aid station in seven minutes, right? He's going to get tossed into you know a wagon, dragged down the road for however many hours he's got 20 miles he's got to go before he gets to 
a rail station where he's going to be there sitting and waiting. I mean, this is not an effective, efficient casualty evacuation scenario like we have today. Right. Uh, um, and it's a, yeah, that 20 mile, like they still, the Fredericksburg area running club back there, we do what's called every year the Jackson ambulance route. And it's a 20 mile run. To, so you're basically going from, from right over there off the, off the, off the plank road, you're going to take Brock road and you're going to go all the way down to Guinea station, which is down. Guinea station is right on off of the, the telegraph road. Uh, now there's I-95 is there. Uh, you know what I mean? And there's actually a marker. So if you, you know what I mean? So he's, they're trying to get him to Guinea station in the back of an ambulance and Brock road is a two lane country road still to this day. So yeah, like you're right. Like it, this is not a, a quick fast medevac. It's going to be painful. He's going to be riding it. He's got his arm amputated. I mean, you know, there, and he's making his way to Guinea station to try to get on a train to get him back to Richmond to a hospital. Mm-hmm. And, he obviously he's immediately out of fight, but uh, he he's gonna die. He dies. It yep. takes uh, several days. Um, he gets like some complications of pneumonia, and he's gonna die. And or the the doctors there's an account. Um, the doctor that kind of was with him um, in his final hours. He the guy named Doctor McGuire, and Doctor McGuire said a few moments a few moments before he died, he cried out in his delirium. Order A.P. Hill to prepare for action. Pass the infantry to the front rapidly. Tell Major Hawks. Then stopped, leaving the sentence unfinished. Presently, a smile of ineffable sweetness spread itself all over his pale face. And he said quietly and with an expression, as if of relief, let us cross over the river and rest under the shade of the trees. That's some poetic uh, words to be saying when you're on your deathbed. I don't know if McGuire, you know, kind of doctored that up a little bit, but I hope to have some sort of, you know, intelligent and poetic thing to say when I'm on my deathbed. I think I'd probably be saying something more like, ah, shit, you know, like that's, But if you're going to say something, you know, let us cross the river and rest under the shade of the trees. What a beautiful uh, statement. Um, but he's dead, right? Um, he's out of the fight. A.P. Hill takes command yeah. once he's off the battlefield. He goes down wounded. Yep. A.P. Hill. He's medevaced out. And then Jeb Stewart takes command. And which is what's interesting about this is just like like their secession plan which we talk a lot about in the military we talk about it with civilian companies as well like you got to have a secession plan someone goes down boss goes down hup jocko goes down cool jd's got it jd jd goes down echo's got it. like we know what we're doing and that's how they're kind of set up and uh jeb stewart what's up with that what's up with a sash how's that go well, you know, like you've got the the color he's got it the so the color of the cavalry is is yellow uh, you when you look around and, and even still to this day, like if you look at different uh, patches, you know, we had that whole patches conversation. You know what I mean? If it's like a red patch, you know what I mean? It, it's infantry. Uh, well, of course, I don't know why they picked yellow for the cavalry, because that didn't go over well between the relationship between infantry and cavalry guys, because they're like, yeah, that yellow stripe on your leg should be going down your back. 
because you're yellow. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's the same, you know, same stuff goes on uh, it's still to this day. But, you know, so you got Jeb Stewart, this cavalry commander, and, and AP Hill goes down. You know, he's a division commander underneath, uh, underneath Jackson. And, you know, so he goes down. And then Jeb Stewart is a cavalry commander. He's going to take off the yellow sash. He's going to take command of an infantry corps, which is pretty cool, man, of, of like Jeb Stewart. But then he's going to get rid of his colors. He's going to take on the colors of the infantry. And now he's an infantry commander, which is that's, that's pretty cool, man, when you're kind of talking about, like, what Jeb Stewart does. Because everybody always thinks, like, Jeb Stewart, this flamboyant cavalier guy, you know what I mean? He's too cool for school kind of guy. You know what I mean? Rides around the Army twice. You know, everybody's always got, like, some bad shit to say about Jeb Stewart. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just because they're jealous, man. The dude looks good. He's got good hair. You know what I mean? He's a hell of a guy on a horseback. Uh, you know what I mean? And he does his job. And, and Robert E. Lee loves him. I mean, loves Jeb Stewart. So there's always that jealousy as well. Why does Robert E. Lee like that guy so much? You know, you know what I mean? And it's just like, really, dude, get over it, brother. You know what I mean? Like, Jeb Stewart's doing his job, and, he, and he's good at it. I mean, because, you know, at that time, I mean, the, the Southern Cavalry is leaps and bounds better than the North. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, just to who they had. Now, yeah, they, the North does get better, uh, but not now. So, yeah, Jeb Stewart takes over. Uh, and and now he is he's running the, the infantry corps. But that's secession. Like we saw that rapid secession plan. Everyone's stepping up. <laughs> what ha- something happens to Hooker too, and there's kind of a moment <laughs> where you recognize it might not be so squared away for the Union. Uh, yeah, it's just like uh, you know you talked about like you know with with companies and with units. Everybody always talks about uh, like obviously on the Army of the Potomac. Like nobody's really like sat down and had this discussion, uh, and. Even though there is a set chain of command, like everybody knows like who's supposed to be next, right? So Hooker, uh, you know what I mean? So like I said, like after this, they they have to collapse back their lines, but he's still going to keep his headquarters in the banging house right there at the Chancellorville house, right? So he's right there at the corner. And if you look out uh, in a in a in a southwesterly direction, uh, it's over towards what is called Hazel Grove. So there's this grove that cuts through out there. And, uh, and, and Hazel Grove, you can line it up with artillery, which, you know, like with Robert E. Lee and these guys, at this time, it's, it's, it's 63. They're getting pretty good. <laughs> and uh, so these guys are within range. And, and Hooker is, of course, standing out on the front porch, and he's leaning up against one of the stanchions. And then, bam, I mean, uh, uh, artillery shell hits the stanchion that Hooker is leaning up against and just knocks his ass the hell out. Doesn't kill him, but he's got a concussion, dude. He's knocked out, and he's laying there on the ground. You know what I mean? And, of course, everybody's, like, looking at it like, holy shit. Like, Hooker's got hit. So, of course, everybody, you know, typical. He goes down. They they run over, and they're all looking at him. and But, they're you know, they're checking Paul hey, – He's alive. He's good. He just got knocked the hell out. And then you got everybody kind of standing around going, well, so uh, who who wants to take over this shit show? (laughs) (laughs) And so – I, I, you know, and I, you know, I'm always imagining like me being there, just like with me, I always try to imagine like what I would be doing there. You know what I mean? I can imagine I'm like, you know, like, 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 hey, 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 wake up, like, wake up. But you know what I mean? Because 
dude, you're riding this rodeo all the way out, brother. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> Nobody wants to take the reins of this one. You know what I mean? Because, like, you look at it on the Confederate side. Jackson goes down. Medevac out. Moments later, A.P. Hill, he's in command. He goes down. Jeb Stewart's taking off his sash, and he's taking command. Like, everybody – there's probably other dudes behind Stewart yeah. going, hey, dude, I'm next, brother. Yeah. Like, I want to be in the book. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want to be a part of this operation because yeah. this shit's going down in history, yeah. which it did. Now, on the other side, everybody's like, yeah, I don't want to even be mentioned in the AAR after this shit. Uh, so, yeah, he goes down, and there nobody wants to take over this. And that's because at this juncture, the union is full retrograde retreat mode, trying to piece it together, trying to get back across the fords, trying to get back. They're, try, they're trying to get away. Yeah, because, like— even, you know, even before that, so, you know, you still got guys that are down there in Fredericksburg, right? You know what I mean? On both sides. Uh, so a- after this whole kind of event goes on, they're like, dude, how, how are we going to like, how can we like deal with this? You know what I mean? How can we save ourselves? So they're going to try to send a note back to Sedwick and some of those guys that are like, hey, dude, cross over, come up the plank road, and now you could get in and behind Robert E. Lee. Okay, that's, that sounds pretty cool. Sounds like it'll so work. So Sedwick is the guy that's down. He's the union guy. He's got. He's still got like forty thousand troops down there. Yeah, you know, north oh, yeah. of the Rappahannock, and he's he could go across the Rappahannock and go into Fredericksburg and start to move towards. It would be actually moving towards Lee's rear. Yeah, he would. So it's a viable oh, option. Yeah, totally viable. Uh, you know, so he could get in and behind. So that that's what they're going to try to do to kind of like like to save this whole aspect. Uh, but the problem is, is you know, Lee's got folks back there as well. You know, what I mean, he's got early, he's got yeah. ten thousand folks, and and okay, yeah, the, the whole rue of setting the fires and stuff like that. They don't have enough resistance. Forty thousand against ten thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean. So they're going to be able to cross over, but then you know what I mean. Robert E. Lee and Jackson's Corps kind of have these folks all bunched in, in and around the Ely's Ford Road. Uh, you know what I mean? And yeah, his rear is exposed. Uh, and it's basically, it's like McClaws and Anderson, those two division guys that they borrowed from Longstreet. It, it's their rear end of kind of what they're looking at. But that also allows, so he's going to be able to get across into Fredericksburg, talking about Sedwick and the Union. They're going to be able to get across, and then they're going to be able to start making their way up the plank road, moving from east to west, literally coming in right behind Robert E. Lee, right? So what do you think Early does? As soon as these guys start coming across, he's going to send a note to the boss. And he's like, hey, sir, we can't hold them, and they're coming across, they're in Fredericksburg, and they're moving towards your position now. So Robert E. Lee got to call an audible. What does he do? He takes the guys that didn't go on the flank march, and he's going to send them down west to east. So here we go, like the first day of Chancellorsville. It's happening again. It ends up happening, and they collide right there of what is now Salem Church. So it's the Salem Church Road. They get down there, and, and he's got his folks come down there, bam, blocking position. It's game on, and they stop this whole northern rescue operation of getting in behind. So now Hooker's done training. Yeah. Like that thought, he's done. And Sedwick, I mean, they get they get blocked by the Confederates, and the Confederates start pushing them back, back to the river. And uh, 
actually we get to hear from Elijah Rhodes. Elijah Rhodes was one of the guys pushing across the river with Sedwick. So this is from uh, Elijah Wood, um, sorry, Elijah, Elijah Hunt Rhodes. All for the union. Here's what he has to say. He says, the next we knew the rebels came in sight and Colonel Rogers was ordered to the front with a second Rhode Island. We advanced across a field to the brow of a hill and opened fire. Here our men began to fall, and the rebels still advanced. Forward is the word again. And with a yell, we rushed on to the rebel lines, which broke and fled into the woods. Men were falling here and there, but close up and forward was the command, and we kept on, cheered by the thought that we were doing good service while our corps could reform in our rear. We entered the woods, but were stopped by severe fire. Here we fought for an hour. As I commanded the color company, I had the center of the regiment and a good chance to observe our colonel. If the line wavered, Colonel Rogers would seize the colors and lead us on. The rebels had as prisoners a regiment of New Jersey troops with their colors. We succeeded in releasing the troops and recapturing the colors. After the firing ceased, we returned to the hill in our rear and reformed our lines. My company B took into the battle 33 men and we lost 11 killed and wounded. The regiment lost seven killed and 68 wounded, beside nine missing. Company B lost three of the killed. The regiment received many compliments from General Newton and General Wheaton, and it seemed to be agreed that our last charge broke the rebel advance and perhaps saved the Corps from disaster. Captain William G. Turner and Lieutenant Clark E. Bates were among the wounded. Monday, May uh, 4th. Artillery firing all day. The rebels have taken possession of Fredericksburg in our rear, and we are cut off from the river, but we have confidence General Sedgwick and shall get out of the scrape somehow. Heavy fighting is going on up the river where Hooker is trying to break through, but we do not know the result. It looks bad, and we feel blue. And then the next day, firing still going on, and it seems to be all around us. Our wounded have been captured in Fredericksburg, and nothing but good generalship can save the dear old Sixth Corps. At dark, we left our lines, and marching in the mud uphill and down, we reached the Rappahannock River sometime in the night. Pontoon bridges were laid, and troops passed over. Strawn earth was packed upon the bridges to deaden the sound of the wagons and artillery. Our regiment was left to guard the rear, and finally we crossed with the rebels dropping shell onto the bridge in our rear. The, connect- the connections on the other side of the bridge were cut, and the boats floated to the north side. As soon as we reached the opposite bank, the men threw themselves upon the ground and slept. crazy to think about like each one of those little events that he he says in two sentences can be an entire book like we fought in the woods for an hour under severe fire like you know that could be a whole book an hour of close combat with the enemy and he's he's rattling off in one two sentences yeah uh but that's that's how it ends up these guys they get across the river they take in massive casualties um and and the battle's over pretty much at this point with another Confederate victory, uh, huge cost for the Union. 
1,606 killed, 9,762 wounded, 6,919 captured and missing. For the Confederates, 1,665 killed, 9,081 wounded, 2,018 captured or missing. Obviously, Jackson's dead. Um, And Lee, upon losing Stonewall Jackson, he's quoted as saying it was like losing his right arm. Yeah, so, uh, you know, another easy like a, a cool story of like of robert e lee so after this battle's over right there on the plank road they've got those you know you just talking about the losses so they got these prisoners and they they you know they've taken away their weapons and all that stuff and they're, they're union prisoners uh, enlisted and they're they're like in the, the ditch on the side of the road and robert e lee is making his way down the plank road and it's 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 captured, uh, you know what I mean, in, in, uh, in, in history of where these Union prisoners, the enlisted guys, see Robert E. Lee coming. Like, you know, he's coming right down the road after the battle. And these dudes are like, holy shit, man, that's Robert E. Lee. You know what I mean? Because they stand and salute Robert E. Lee as he passes them. I mean, so, not, I mean, he's pulling huge respect uh, you know, and this goes all the way back at the beginning of the podcast. We kind of talked about the privates of how they felt in the union. Like, we'll take an old broke down mule for, you know, we'll trade you that for Burnside. You know what I mean? Like, they're looking at this guy, man, Robert E. Lee. I mean, yeah, this is a huge Confederate victory uh, that just took place. And I, I just always imagine because, you know, I've, I've, I've been there right there on the side of the road. And I'm just like, I couldn't imagine being a prisoner of war and I'm going to salute my adversary you know what i mean like that ain't happening voluntarily yeah yeah like dude you might get the morning bird from jd but you're not getting me to like stand up and salute you know what i mean but and that's just one of the things of you know with like robert e lee but now jackson's jackson's out and it's you know i mean that's a bold statement to talk about one of your core commanders it's like losing your right arm he was right arm dominant you know what i mean so that's his dominant core commander. He just lost Robert E. Lee when he, or, you know, losing Stonewall Jackson when he found that out. So I just, I wanted to share that about with you know the the relationship between those two guys. And and just while we're on the subject of prisoners of war, the being a prisoner of war in the Civil War was, uh, you know, I mean it's 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 a fate that is could very likely mean death it means starvation like it is a nightmare being a pow in the civil war yeah they uh they they segregate you know enlisted guys and and the officers it's it's segregated camps and uh probably the uh there's like a like a b-rated movie uh it's called andersonville uh and it's a it's a confederate uh prisoner of war camp it's in andersonville georgia uh, and if you're ever down there, man, it's actually the National Museum of Prisoner of War in the United States is in Andersonville, Georgia. Not a lot of people know that. I mean, and it is a phenomenal museum. And it's all prisoners of war since, since we've been a country. Uh, it's a f- great museum uh, that's down there. And it's right there on the grounds of where this Andersonville enlisted prison, an open air prison, man. I mean, what these guys, I, yeah, I don't want to. Like there's books on this on, on Andersonville, uh, and it's not to say that that you know the Confederates were doing it any worse than what was happening up on the Union side. I'm not here to debate that, but dude, Andersonville man is like, 
it's wow. I mean, it is unbelievable. And it, they've got the replica of like what it would have been like being a private and the gate. You know what I mean? It's like these huge, like if I was going to describe it, like you've seen like King Kong. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They had those big, big wooden gates that like kept Kong in. That's kind of like what it's like, man, coming into to Andersonville. Uh, I mean, it's just a horrific. I mean, thousands of Union soldiers died in that camp. One little strain. I mean, it's depressing. I mean, it is literally, I mean, it just, it crushes you. Uh, so, yeah. What were you going to say? One little, you were like one little. One str- little trickle stream is like bathing, like, it, I mean, the dysentery, The it's open air. There's no, I mean, like, you got nothing. This is Georgia, man. I couldn't imagine being in Georgia, summertime heat, just bacon. And, you know, they've got, a, they've got a deadline where it's like a two-by-four that runs off the wall of, like, you don't cross the deadline. Like, you cross this way. And, like, the – I mean, there's accounts of, of like, the, the, the young kids that are pulling guard duty there. You know what I mean? Because most everybody else is up fighting. So they're, they got young folks that are there, and these folks are starving. And they would, like, drop bread on the other side of the – of the, the the deadline of where they're not allowed to cross, and you know, and they, and they got you know, you got dudes that are starving, man, and they're like, dude, you got to be kidding me, man. Can I just jump across the line real quick and, and grab it? And they're like, yeah, man, go ahead, you can you can get it. As soon as they cross the line, man, shooting them. I mean, it's just it is Andersonville, man. It'll it it, it is uh, it's unimaginable. Um, like when I was at the Naval Academy, and we talked about that. You know, we take Naval Academy midshipmen. Everybody goes, you know, DC, the Holocaust. Horrific events that took place. They should put them on a bus, man, and take those midshipmen down to Andersonville. Uh, I mean, because it, it, yeah, I mean, it, it is, it is that level. Mm-hmm. It is Holocaust level. Uh, That's just my opinion, but yeah, it's a. Uh, and visit the National Prisoner of War Museum yeah. uh, for the United States. Uh, but yeah, you're you're spot on, man. It is not, it's not going to look good. Yeah. So you get that you get that respect of standing up and saluting. Uh, General Lee, but that that respect isn't gonna maintain much further off the battlefield and Well, like we said Jackson's dead thousands uh, killed in this battle and there's gonna be much more loss Because the war was far from over at this time and we will continue with that on the next Civil War excursion and if you want to support this podcast, go to jockostore.com, jockofuel.com, originusa.com, echelonfront.com, and vomna.com. And until next time, this is JD and Jocko out.